the acceptable sacrifice, or the excellency of a broken heart. The brokenhearted know that the sanctifying of the Spirit is a good means to keep from that relapse out of which a man cannot come unless his heart be wounded a second time. Doubtless David had a broken heart at first conversion, and if that brokenness had remained, that is, had he not given way to hardness of heart again, he had never fallen into that sin out of which he could not be recovered but by the breaking of his bones a second time. Therefore I say a broken heart is of great esteem with God for it, and I will add, so long as it retains its tenderness, covets none but God and the things of his Holy Spirit, sin is an abomination to it. Six advantages that a Christian gets by keeping his heart tender. And here, as in a fit place before I go any further, I will show you some of the advantages that a Christian gets by keeping of his heart tender. For as to have a broken heart is to have an excellent thing, so to keep this broken heart tender is also very advantageous. First, this is the way to maintain in thy soul always a fear of sinning against God. Christians do not wink at or give way to sin until their hearts begin to lose their tenderness. A tender heart will be affected at the sin of another much more it will be afraid of committing of sin itself. Second Kings 22, verse 19. Second, a tender heart quickly yieldeth to prayer, yea, prompteth to it, puts an edge and fire into it. We never are backward to prayer until our heart has lost its tenderness, though then it grows cold flat, and formal, and so carnal, to and in that holy duty. Third, a tender heart has always repentance at hand for the least fault or slip or sinful thought that the soul is guilty of. In many things the best offend. But if a Christian loses his tenderness, if he says he has his repentance to seek, his heart is grown hard, has lost that spirit, that kind spirit of repentance it was wont to have. Thus it was with the Corinthians. They were decayed and lost their tenderness. Wherefore their sin, yea, great sins, remained unrepented of. Second Corinthians 12, verse 20. Fourth, a tender heart is for receiving often its communion with God. When he that is hardened, though the seed of grace is in him, will be content to eat, drink, sleep, wake, and go days, without number, without him. Isaiah 17, verse 10, Jeremiah 2, verse 32. 
Fifth, a tender heart is a wakeful, watchful heart. It watches against sin in the soul, sin in the family, sin in the calling, sin in spiritual duties and performances, and so forth. It watches against Satan, against the world, against the flesh, and so forth. But now, when the heart is not tender, there is sleepiness, unwatchfulness, idleness, a suffering the heart, the family, and calling to be much defiled, spotted, and blemished with sin. For a hard heart departs from God and turns aside in all these things. Sixth, a tender heart will deny itself, and that in lawful things and will forbear even that which may be done for some Jew or Gentile or the church of God or any member of it should be offended or made weak thereby. Whereas the Christian that is not tender, that has lost his tenderness, is so far off of denying himself in lawful things that he will even adventure to meddle in things utterly forbidden. Whoever is offended, grieved, or made weak thereby. For an instance, of this we need go no further than to the man in the text, who while he was tender trembled at little things, but when his heart was hardened, he could take Bathsheba to satisfy his lust and kill her husband to cover his wickedness. Seventh, a tender heart, I mean the heart kept tender, preserves from many a blow, lash, and fatherly chastisement because it shuns the causes which is sin of the scourging hand of God. With the pure, Thou wilt show thyself pure, but with the froward thou wilt show thyself unsavory. Second Samuel 22, verse 27, Psalms 18, verse 25 through 27. Many a needless rebuke and wound doth happen to the saints of God through their unwise behavior. When I say needless, I mean they are not necessary, but to reclaim us from our vanities. For we should not feel the smart of them were it not for our follies. Hence the afflicted is called a fool because his folly brings his affliction upon him. Fools, says David, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Psalms 107, verse 17. And therefore it is, as was said before, that he call his sin his foolishness. And again, God will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Psalms 38, verse 5, Psalms 85, verse 8. 
If his children transgress my laws, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Psalms 89, verse 30 through 32. How to keep the heart tender? Question. But what should a Christian do when God has broke his heart to keep it tender? Answer. To this I will speak briefly, and first, give you several cautions. Secondly, several directions. First, several cautions. One, take heed that you choke not those convictions that at present do break your hearts by laboring to put these things out of your minds which were the cause of such convictions, but rather nourish and cherish those things in a deep and sober remembrance of them. Think, therefore, with thyself thus, what was it that at first did wound my heart? And let that still be there, until by the grace of God and the redeeming blood of Christ it is removed. Two, shun vain company. The keeping of vain company has stifled many a conviction, killed many a desire, and made many a soul fall into hell that once was hot in looking after heaven. A companion that is not profitable to the soul is hurtful. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Three, take heed of idle talk, that thou neither hear nor join with it. Go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. Proverbs 14, verse 7. Evil communications corrupt good manners, and a fool's lips are the snare of his soul. Wherefore, take heed of these things. Proverbs 18, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. For beware of the least motion to sin, that it be not countenance, lest the countenance of that makes way for a bigger footnote. Sin will at first just like a beggar crave one penny or one half penny to have. And if you grant its first suit, twill aspire from pence to pounds, and so will still mount higher to the whole soul. Bunyan's Caution Against Sin, Volume 2, Page 575, Editor George Offer. David's eye took his heart, and so his heart, nourishing the thought, made way for the woman's company. The act of adultery and bloody murder. Take heed, therefore, brethren, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3. Verse 12, 13. And remember that he that will rend the block 
puts the thin end of the wedge first thereto, and so by driving does his work. Five, take heed of evil examples among the godly. Learn of no man to do that which the word of God forbids. Sometimes Satan makes use of a good man's bad ways to spoil and harden the heart of them that come after. Peter's false doing had liked to have spoiled Barnabas, yea, and several others more. Wherefore take heed of men, of good men's ways, and measure both theirs and thine own by no other rule but the holy word of God. Galatians 2, verse 11 through 13. 6. Take heed of unbelief or atheistical thoughts. Make no question of the truth and reality of heavenly things, for no unbelief is the worst of evils. Nor can the heart be tender that nourisheth or gives place unto it. Take heed, therefore, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Hebrews 3, verse 12. These cautions are necessary to be observed with all diligence of all them that would when their heart is made tender, keep it so. And now to come second to the directions. One, labor after a deep knowledge of God to keep it warm upon thy heart. Knowledge of his presence that is everywhere. Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 23, verse 24. One, knowledge of his piercing eye, that it runneth to and fro through the earth, beholding in every place the evil and the good, that his eyes behold, and his eyelids try the children of men. Proverbs 15, verse 3. Two, the knowledge of his power that he is able to turn and dissolve heaven and earth into dust and ashes, and that they are in his hand but as a scroll or vesture. Hebrews 1, verse 11 and 12. 3. The knowledge of his justice, that the rebukes of it are as devouring fire. Hebrews 12, verse 19. 4 the knowledge of his faithfulness in fulfilling promises to them to whom they are made, and of his threatenings on the impenitent. Matthew 5, verse 18, Matthew 24, verse 35, Mark 13, verse 31. 2. Labor to get and keep a deep sense of sin in its evil nature and in its soul-destroying effects upon thy heart. Be persuaded that it is the only enemy of God and that none hate or are hated of God but through that. One, remember 
it turned angels into devils, thrust them down from heaven to hell. Two, that it is the chain in which they are held and bound over to judgment. Second Peter 2, verse 4, Jude, verse 6. Three, that it was for that that Adam was turned out of paradise, that for which the old world was drowned, that for which Sodom and Gomorrah was burned with fire from heaven, and that which cost Christ his blood to redeem thee from the curse it has brought upon thee, and that, if anything, will keep thee out of heaven forever and ever. For consider the pains of hell. Christ makes use of that as an argument to keep the heart tender. Yea, to that end repeats and repeats and repeats both the nature and durableness of the burning flame thereof and of the gnawing of the never-dying worm that dwells there. Mark 9, 43 through verse 48. Three, consider of death, both as to the certainty of thy dying and uncertainty of the time when. We must die. We must needs die. Our days are determined. The number of our months are with God, though not with us, nor can we pass them, would we, had we them give a thousand worlds to do it? Second Samuel 14, verse 14. Job 7, verse 1. Job 14, 1 through 5. Consider, thou must die but once. I mean but once as to this world. For if thou, when thou goest hence, dost not die well, Thou canst not come back again and die better. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Hebrews 9, verse 27. For consider also of the certainty and terribleness of the day of judgment, when Christ shall sit upon his great white throne, when the dead shall by the sound of the trump of God be raised up, when the elements with heaven and earth shall be on a burning flame, when Christ shall separate men one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, when the book shall be opened, the witnesses produced, and every man be judged according to his works, when heaven's gate shall stand open to them that shall be saved, and the jaws of hell stand gaping for them that shall be damned. Acts 5, 30, 31. Acts 10, 42. Matthew 25, 31, 32, 34, and 4. Revelation 2, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Revelation 20, 12, 15. 2 Peter 3, 7, 10, and 12. Romans 2, 2, 
15, 16. Revelation 22, verse 12. 5. Consider Christ Jesus did use no means to harden his heart against doing and suffering those sorrows which were necessary for the redemption of thy soul. No, though he could have hardened his heart against thee in the way of justice and righteousness, because thou hadst sinned against him, he rather awakened himself and put on all pity, bowels, and compassion, yea, tender mercies, and did it in his love and in his pity he saved us. His tender mercies from on high hath visited us. He loved us and gave himself for us. Learn then of Christ to be tender of thyself and to endeavor to keep thy heart tender to Godward and to the salvation of thy soul. But to draw to a conclusion, 7. The use. Let us now then make some use of this doctrine as first use from the truth of the matter, namely, that the man who has truly come to God has had his heart broken, his heart broken in order to his coming to him. And this shows us what to judge of the league that is between sin and the soul. To wit, that it is so firm, so strong, so inviolable as that nothing can break, disannul, or make it void unless the heart be broken for it. It was so with David. Yea, his new league with it could not be broken until his heart was broken. It is amazing to consider what hold sin has on some men's souls, spirits, will, and affections. It is to them better than heaven, better than God than the soul, a than salvation, as is evident because though all these are offered them upon this condition, if they will but leave their sins, yet they will choose rather to abide in them, to stand and fall by them. How sayest thou, sinner? Is not this a truth? How many times hast thou had heaven and salvation offered to thee freely? Wouldest thou but break thy league with this great enemy of God? Of God do I say, if thou wouldest but break this league with this great enemy of thy soul, but couldest never yet be brought unto it, no, neither by threatening nor by promise couldst thou ever yet be brought unto it. It is said of Ahab, he sold himself to work wickedness. And in another place, yea, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves. First Kings 21, verse 25, Isaiah 50, verse 1. But what is this iniquity? Why a thing of naught, nay, worse than naught, a thousand times 
but because not is as we say not. Therefore it goes under that term where God saith again to the people, Ye have sold yourselves for naught. Isaiah 52, verse 3. But I say, what an amazing thing is this, that a rational creature should make no better a bargain that one that is so wise in all terrene things should be such a fool in the thing that is most weighty. And yet, such a fool he is. And he tells everyone that goes by the way that he is such an one. Because he will not break his league with sin until his heart is broken for it. Men love darkness rather than light. A, they make it manifest they love it, since so great a proffer will not prevail with them to leave it. Second use. Is this a truth that the man that truly comes to God in order thereto has had his heart broken? Then this shows us a reason why some men's hearts are broken, even a reason why God breaks some men's hearts for sin, namely, because he will not have them die in it, but rather come to God that they might be saved. Behold, therefore, in this how God resolved as to the saving of some men's souls. He will have them, he will save them, he will break their hearts, but he will save them, he will kill them, that they may live. He will wound them, that he may heal them. And it seems by our discourse that now there is no way left but this. Fair means, as we say, will not do. Good words, a glorious gospel, entreatings, beseeching with blood and tears, will not do. Men are resolved to put God to the utmost of it. If he will have them, he must fetch them, follow them, catch them, lame them, yea, break their bones, or else he shall not save them. Some men think an invitation, an outward call, a rational discourse will do, but they are much deceived. There must be a power, an exceeding great and mighty power, a tender word, or it worketh not effectually to the salvation of the soul. I know these things are enough to leave men without excuse, but yet they are not enough to bring men home to God. Sin has hold of them. They have sold themselves to it. The power of the devil has hold of them. They are his captives at his will. Yea, and more than all this, their will is one with sin and with the devil. To be held captive thereby, and if God gives not contrition, repentance, or a broken heart for sin, 
There will not be, no, not so much as a mind in man to forsake this so horrible a confederacy and plot against his soul. Second Timothy two twenty four twenty five. Hence men are said to be drawn from these breasts that come or that are brought to him. Isaiah twenty six nine. John 6.44 Wherefore John might well say, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Here is cost bestowed, pains bestowed, labor bestowed, repentance bestowed, yea, and an heart made sore, wounded, broken, and filled with pain and sorrow, in order to the salvation of the soul. Third use. This then may teach us what estimation to set upon a broken heart. A broken heart is such as God esteems, yea, as God counts better than all external service. A broken heart is that which is in order to salvation, in order to thy coming to Christ for life. The world know not what to make of it, nor what to say to one that has a broken heart, and therefore do despise it, and count that man that carries it in his bosom a moping fool, a miserable wretch, an undone soul. But a broken and a contrite spirit, O God, thou wilt not despise. A broken heart takes thine eye, thy heart. Thou choosest it for thy companion. Yea, hast given thy son a charge to look well to such a man, and hast promised him thy salvation, as has afore been proved. Sinner, hast thou obtained a broken heart? Has God bestowed a contrite spirit upon thee? He has given thee what himself is pleased with. He has given thee a cabinet to hold his grace in. He has given thee a heart that can heartily desire his salvation, and heart after his own heart, that is, such as suits his mind. True, it is painful now, Sorrowful now, penitent now, grieved now, now it is broken, now it bleeds, now, now it sobs, now it sighs, now it mourns and crieth unto God. Well, very well, all this is because he has a mind to make thee laugh. He hath made thee sorry on earth that thou mightest rejoice in heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Matthew 5, verse 4, Luke 6, verse 21. But so be sure thou hast this broken heart. All hearts are not broken hearts. Nor is every heart that seems to have a wound a heart that is truly broken. A man may be cut to, yet not 
into the heart. A man may have another, yet not a broken heart. Acts 7, verse 54, 1 Samuel 10, verse 9. We know there is a difference betwixt a wound in the flesh and a wound in the spirit. Yea, a man's sin may be wounded, and yet his heart not broken. So was Pharaoh's, so was Saul's, so was Ahab's, but they had none of them the mercy of a broken heart. Therefore I say, take heed. Every scratch with a pin, every prick with a thorn, nay, every blow that God giveth with his word upon the heart of sinners, doth not therefore break them. God gave Ahab such a blow that he made him stoop, fast, humble himself, gird himself with and lie in sackcloth, which was a great matter for a king, and go softly, and yet he never had a broken heart. First Kings 21, 27, and 29. What shall I say? Pharaoh and Saul confessed their sins. Judas repented himself of his doings. Esau sought the blessing, and that carefully with tears, and yet none of these had a heart rightly broken or a spirit truly contrite. Pharaoh, Saul, and Judas were Pharaoh, Saul, and Judas still. Esau was Esau still. There was no gracious change, no thorough turn to God, no unfeigned parting with their sins, no hearty flight for refuge to lay a hold on the hope of glory, though they indeed had thus been touched. Exodus 10, verse 16, 1 Samuel 26, verse 21. Matthew 27, verse 3, Hebrews 12, verse 14 through 17. The consideration of these things call aloud to us to take heed, that we take not that for a broken and a contrite spirit, that will not go for one at the day of death and judgment. Wherefore, seeking soul, let me advise thee, that thou mayest not be deceived as to this thing of so great weight. First, to go back towards the beginning of this book and compare thyself with those six or seven signs of a broken and contrite heart, which there I have according to the word of God given to thee for that end and deal with thy soul impartially about them. Second, or which may and will be great help to thee, if thou shalt be sincere therein, namely, to betake thyself to the search of the word, especially where thou readest of the conversion of men, and try if thy conversion be like or has a good resemblance or oneness with theirs. But in this, have a care, 
that thou dost not compare thyself with those good folk of whose conversion thou readest not, or of the breaking of whose heart there is no mention made in Scripture. For all that are recorded in the Scripture for saints have not their conversion as to the manner or nature of it recorded in the Scripture. Third, or else do thou consider truly of the true signs of repentance which are laid down in Scripture. For that is the true effect of a broken heart and of a wounded spirit. And for this see Matthew 3, 5, and 6, Luke 18, 13, Luke 19, 8, Acts 2, 37 through 40, and so forth, Acts 16, 29 and 30, Acts 19, 18, 19, 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11, Fourth, or else take into consideration how God has said, they shall be in their spirits that he intends to save. And for this read these scriptures, one, that in Jeremiah 31, they shall come with weeping, and with supplications will I lead them, and so forth. Verse 9. 2. Read Jeremiah 50, verse 4 and 5. In those days, and in that time, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping, they shall go and seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces thitherward, saying, Come, and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. 3. Read Ezekiel 6, 9. And they that escape of you shall remember me among the nations, whither they shall be carried captives, because I am broken with their whorish heart, which have departed from me, and with their eyes, which go a-whoring after their idols, and they shall loathe themselves for the evils which they have committed in all their abominations. For, read Ezekiel 7, verse 16, but they that escape of them shall escape, and shall be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them mourning, every one for his iniquity. 5. Read Ezekiel twenty forty three, And there shall you remember your ways, and all your doings, wherein ye have been defiled. And ye shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for all your evils that ye have committed. 6. Read Ezekiel 37, 31. Then shall ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good, and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. 7. 
Read Zechariah 12:10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And all these are the fruits of the Spirit of God, and of the heart when it is broken. Wherefore, soul, take notice of them, and because these are texts by which God promises that those whom he saveth shall have this heart, this spirit, and these holy effects in them, therefore consider again and examine thyself, whether this is the state and condition of thy soul. And that thou mayest do it fully, consider again, and do thou. One, remember that here is such a sense of sin, and of the irksomeness thereof, as maketh the man not only to abhor that, but himself because of that. This is worth the noting by thee. Two, remember again that here is not only a self-abhorrence, but a sorrowful kind mourning unto God at the consideration that the soul by sin has affronted, contemned, disregarded, and set it not both God and His holy word. Three, remember also that here are prayers and tears for mercy with desires to be now out of love with sin forever, and to be in heart and soul firmly joined and knit unto God. For remember also that this people here spoken of have all the way from Satan to God, from sin to grace, from death to life, scattered with tears and prayers, with weeping and supplication, they shall go weeping and seeking the Lord their God. Five, remember that these people as strangers and pilgrims do are not ashamed to ask the way of those they meet with to Zion or the heavenly country whereby they confess their ignorance as became them and the desire to know the way to life. Yea, thereby they declare that there is nothing in this world under the sun or this side heaven that can satisfy the longings, the desire, and cravings of a broken and contrite spirit. Reader, be advised and consider of these things seriously, and compare thy soul with them, and with what else thou shalt find here written for thy conviction and instruction. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, 
in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.